previously on The Avatar Returns. So going into this, I was bound and determined to disagree with him. I want I did not want to share the same opinion as Eric motherfucking Sipple. It's the fucking Duck Dynasty of Avatar. See, this is the uh, this is the Angang goes to Dagobah episode of the series this is avatar the last true detective (laughs) (laughs) and i do like the the moment when avatar kiyoshi shows up and she's like oh i totes killed that guy i don't even know if you can count what they did as saving the town because they man of steel the hell out of that town i it's cool that daredevil is part of the avatar universe I i wasn't aware of that this is just gonna be a bunch of guys chucking rocks at each other isn't it I'm I'm at least glad that I got to experience Swampy McConaughey. I, Paul, when I asked you to cut AJ's mic, I actually meant it. Hello and welcome to The Avatar Returns. I'm Paul. I'm Eric. And I'm AJ. And each week we discuss two to four episodes of the Nickelodeon animated series Avatar The Last Airbender and its sequel series The Legend of Korra. This week we continue Avatar Book 2 with chapters 207 through 209. That's Zuko Alone, The Chase, and Bitter Work. Eric and I have seen both these series before, but this is AJ's first trip to the world of Avatar. That means there will be spoilers, but only up to the point that we're discussing tonight. But before we get into this, um, a little bit of banter. I think it's perhaps worth mentioning. We are literally one day away at the time of this recording. We're actually, the three of us are less than 24 hours away from uh, our awakenings. We are about to awaken. That's that's uh, De Niro and Williams, right? Right. Yeah. The Penny Marshall movie. Yeah. Wow, that's that's a good movie. I don't know why you're making. It's like 25 years old. It's, I don't know what you're talking about right now. But well, because I liked because it. the the special edition is coming out. The the like remastered. Oh, nice. Yeah, Lucas. That's where they put all. Yeah, that's where they put all the Banthas in. That's right. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, twenty in in less than 24 hours, we will all be seeing. Uh, separately, sadly, more's the pity. We will all be seeing uh, the Force Awakens. Yeah, but almost almost simultaneously. Not where we're going to be hour delayed from Paul, but uh, the three of us are going to be at one point or another. There's going to be a nice hour long overlap where we're all in the theater somewhere watching Star Wars. And I will feel a disturbance in the force when that happens (laughs) by ourselves, certainly, because I think we're the only ones that are interested in this. Yeah, really. This is going to be the first Star Wars movie I remember seeing in a theater since Attack of the Clones. I know I must have seen Revenge of the Sith in the theater, but I don't actually remember that experience. But I do remember getting up to go to the bathroom in the middle of Attack of the Clones. So that tells you how I felt about that movie. Wow. Well, you missed the crucial moment then. It's like you haven't even seen it, Eric. Eric, I'm haunted by the kiss you never should have given me. (laughs) (laughs) See, I didn't walk out of that scene, and I should (laughs) have. That was that was the scene you should have walked out of. <laughs> At that um, point, the, I should have just peed myself to get myself <laughs> in the theater. <laughs> the only Star Wars movie I have not seen in theaters, and sadly, I had the opportunity recently and squandered it. Um, I have not seen Return of the Jedi in theaters. I've seen every other one. So, so, so hopefully someday before I die, I will get to see uh, Slave Leia strangle Jabba the Hutt in glorious 70mm, as Quentin Tarantino would say. That was that was the first movie, Star Wars movie I saw in the theaters. I was not born for the original Star Wars, and I just wasn't quite old enough to see Empire Strikes Back. But I did go to see Empire uh, Return of the Jedi. Um, so yeah, that was, um, my, that was the, my that was my star, first Star Wars theatrical experience. 
Return of the Jedi um, was seven years before I was born, so ha. Huh. I'm young. I've seen them all on original release in theaters. Nice. So old. So old. So old. That's right. Uh, well, um, AJ, you just mentioned uh, Quentin Tarantino in 70 millimeters. So um, another little bit of banter. I, I guess I will point out that uh, I already have my tickets to The Hateful Eight in 70 millimeter. Apparently, much to my surprise, the the hundred some odd theaters around the country that are getting that like roadshow version, the 70 millimeter print. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one of them happens to be in my little burg. I don't know how that happened, but piece That's, of shit. Wow, I'm I really would, jealous. Yeah. I would, I would gladly not see Force Awakens in theaters at all if I could see Hateful Eight in 70 millimeter. Jeez, man. Wow. Don't get me wrong. I'm pumped for both of them. I would much rather be seeing Hateful Eight in 70 millimeter. But you know, it's fine. Whatever. Uh, life's not perfect. Good things don't happen to me. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I have to, I have to know you. So right, you are you are the Zuko of this podcast. <laughs> I am the Zuko of life of the universe. Uh, all right. Well, on that note, I guess let's uh, scarring is internal. Let's let's get to it. Uh, the three the three chapters we're talking about this time, we could we could almost call them the Zuko cycle. Um, I'd be fine with them because they they kind of focus they focus heavily on Zuko. Uh, one of them, in fact. The one coincidentally titled Zuko Alone um, is only Zuko, not a, not a single appearance of Aang or the other main heroes. That was a coincidence. I'm sure when they sat yeah. down to do that episode, they, that was not planned. Yeah. I, I mean, they probably they titled the episode. It was going to be about something else. And then halfway through, they were like, you know what? We don't need this scene with Aang and Katara, this really meaningful scene. We'll push that till later. Actually, what I think is funny is so they did that episode and they were like, what do we call it, you guys? It's like. Well, Zuko is alone in this episode. Zuko alone. Like, I feel like that's the least amount of effort you can put into naming something. Uh, that's that's how we come up with titles for Gobbledygeek. <laughs> Paul and AJ <laughs> in different rooms across the country. Yeah. All right. So as we have been doing this entire time, AJ, you're the noob. This was your first time seeing any of these episodes. So we're going to start with you. Um, oh, boy. What did you think? God, just garbage. Just absolute unremittent garbage from start to from start to finish. Wow. Well, you have been complaining about this season going downhill. <laughs> no, I will so so are you asking about Zuko alone or all three episodes? Uh well we'll I mean we'll start with Zuko alone, but Okay. Um I think that Zuko alone so you're right, I have not been thrilled with aspects of this season so far. I thought the premiere was pretty great, but then there's been some definite filler, the fucking swamp people. Um <laughs> But right, uh, Zuko right, alone, right. <laughs> uh, Zuko alone, I think is the strongest episode so far this season. And that's not in a way of like, well, the season hasn't been that great, so it's the best one by default. It's like this is one of the stronger episodes I feel of the series to this point. Um, I was I was very pleased with this episode. Um, you you guys know, listeners of the show uh, may remember that at the beginning of the podcast, I was not I was not hyped on Zuko. Um, I thought he was kind of whiny and annoying, which he is, but that's that's uh, more of a it's a it's not a bug, it's a feature. Um, <laughs> and I think at this point, I have to say after these after this set of episodes, Zuko, I have to say is my favorite character. When you uh, texted that to me, I was blown away. Yeah, Paul gets all the reactions early, by the way. He knows everything I'm going to say. This is all scripted. Well, that's great. So I'm the only <laughs> asshole who doesn't know what's happening. <laughs> that's, that's right. Pretty as much. usual. 
pretty much. Uh, but I was I was very pleased with that episode. Awesome, Eric. What about you? Uh, it was fantastic. I I this whole block was like walking back into the show mm-hmm. that I remembered. The I was really getting nervous in the first half of season two because it was shaky in a way that even season one wasn't like it was shaky without cause and suddenly these three episodes it was just solid all the way through and zuko alone was awesome i love when avatar does these episodes every once in a while where we'll just take one character mm-hmm. and follow them around and this is a theme avatar doesn't do this all the time but there's a handful of episodes throughout avatar and Korra where they do this and i i'm always a fan of them because i think they're pretty bold for like a children's show to do this kind yeah. of thing so, but, so this is something the show is going to do again isolate a character and like have like tell it's their own story Yes, we're going to get one more this season, though not maybe in a way that you expect. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I know there's one Korra, and I there I think there might be one of some type in season three of Avatar, but I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember either, but I feel like it is something that they, they play with. But you mentioned that, Eric, that it's I, this is a bold move for a children's show, and I agree because um, this is not like the... Th- there's humor in this episode for sure, uh, but and, and I, I think... Most of the instances of humor kind of feel like, like the Nickel- Nickelodeon executives are like, "Hey, this is a Nickelodeon. Make something funny happen for half a second. <laughs> um, but Zuko is not a funny character. He's not a character. As there, there's a line in, in a in a later episode this week, um, where I I was trying to tell him about the Airbenders, and he's like, you know, and apparently they had very good senses of humor. And then just Zuko is no reaction whatsoever. Just his face is dead. Um, so Zuko does not have a sense of humor. So it's it's a bit more of a serious episode than I think a lot of the episodes this season so far have been. Especially when it comes to like Avatar Day or whatever the Swamp One was called. What was the Swamp One called? The Swamp. Oh My well, there you go. Sucks. It was it was <laughs> called the one. It was called the one with the swamp. Um, uh, and yeah, I think, is... yeah, I think it was a bold move. I had written down um, just because you know he's. He's he's got the hat. He's he's working the. I I wrote down Zuko is working the man with no name angle, but Paul actually may have had a better uh, Western comparison than that. I I mean I think it's clearly um, pulling from the movie Shane, uh, which really I think Shane is kind of where the the trope of you know the lone the lone gunman rides out of the desert into you know the rundown town or whatever and ends up saving the the townspeople from the local sheriff or whatever i mean because that's not something the the man with no name would winds up like turning the town against each other so (laughs) yeah i mean he he starts out as the bad guy usually (laughs) or whatever right but uh no the, the whole idea of you know the man riding it on a horse just out of you know the the heat haze of the desert coming to town and and eventually having the showdown with the the bad guy at the end. I mean, that's pretty much Shane right there. Yeah, that's, a, have, that's a good right. That's a good comparison. Sadly, not seen that. Um, yeah, it's a good movie. Um, it's even got the kid. You're right. It's even got like a like a kid character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I it's I feel like it had to have been intentional. Like they had to have been deliberately channeling that when they did this episode. This episode almost doesn't feel, uh, and I agree with both of you. Uh, this is a fantastic episode. This entire block we're going to talk about tonight is, is great. Um, I had forgotten how much I liked these. Um, this particular episode almost doesn't feel like an episode of this show. Like it's, it's such a break from the episodes 
earlier episodes of this season that we've gotten. But I think in a good way because yeah, no, I, it, yeah. all three of us had been commenting that it felt like the Aang gang was really treading earth to make that pun again. <laughs> um, and we were much more interested in the Zuko Iroh story. And now that Zuko has, at least as of this episode, abandoned Iroh, um, I feel like the show needed needed to do this, to, to focus on Zuko, because that was clearly the interesting story at this point. And it really feels like this, coupled with the next two episodes, really brings the entire season into focus for the first time. Yeah. Yeah, it it, it really, what what's good is that Zuko had been the interesting character for the first half of the season, but because he was a side character, he wasn't getting a ton of screen time to really develop like we got him to that point where he left Iroh this did that work in a nice concentrated burst to set up what's going you know what we have happening in the next two episodes because we sat with him this entire time it gives a lot of weight to the plot in the next two so this is a really a smart move and and I don't want to talk too much about the next one yet but it also in my opinion gave a good reset point for the Ang gang who I think also have a stronger run after this episode so I feel like this was like a culmination point for what was going on with Zuko for the first half, and we seem to be really starting the next block of the season in earnest as a result. This is kind of a season premiere to me. Yeah, I wonder if the writers, uh, like I wonder if the season up to this point felt kind of directionless because the writers really wanted to focus on Zuko. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, you you both commented previously that Zuko was the one in multiple episodes, Zuko was the one that you guys were much more interested in, but the show was obviously still trying to focus on Aang. Because I feel like this is not the kind of show that could focus on Zuko every week. But it, it did feel like that's where the writer's interests were lying. And I don't know anything about the behind the scenes on this show at all, but I mean, you, you might be right. You might be right that they wanted to focus more on Zuko, but it had to do the wacky uh, Aang gang stuff. But I agree with Eric. Like the Aang gang itself benefits from this focus on Zuko and Azula and all of that. It really, like I said, it feels like this these set of episodes or this set of episodes really focuses the season in a way that it really needed. Uh, this also really benefits by finally giving some focus and some background to Azula. Uh, we get it all through Zuko's point of view as he um, flashes back, but it really. And by actually by doing that, it also gives some important weight to the state of the Fire Nation. We get an awful lot this that is we a, need in this episode. This is a pretty major episode, and it it's weird because, um, I mean, obviously I must have uh, – clearly I intentionally paired or, or you know set these three episodes together in one block for us to talk about. So I must have been paying attention at some point. But when it came time to revisit them, I had forgotten how much I loved these. Like I was surprised. I kind of was expecting these to be um, sort of filler episodes or whatever, because I know some of the episodes that are coming up. Um, I, there's good stuff coming up, and I, I don't know. I was expecting these to be, you know, just episodes to get us there. And uh, all three of these episodes, actually, I think, are are pretty fantastic. These are this block is a high point so far for me. I think. Yeah, and I, I agree. Is is this also really the first serious plot arc we get in some ways? I mean, I realize it's not like a plot arc in a in a major way, but it's definitely sort of like a plot character arc that really feels focused in a way that season one did near the end, but season two hasn't up to this yeah. point. Mm -hmm, yeah. So these definitely feel like they're a progression, these three episodes. And actually, you can add the Blind Bandit into that too. If you were, We were a couple weeks off from when we watched that, but if you think of where we were in the Blind Bandit, that sets up the Aang gang stuff, and then Zuko's thing sets up his side of the plot, and then 
the chase and bitter work are really about smashing those together and what comes out of that. Yeah. Should have done a four think, a four chapter episode. Damn it! Yeah, those are that great. Would have been interesting. Though I do think these three episodes on their own have an interesting arc in that Zuko alone is sort of like the uh, the, the prologue of the three. The chase is where everything comes to a head and sort of like an action packed extravaganza. And then the third one is the. Uh, I'll talk more about this when we get to bitter work. But that one was interesting to me because there's no external conflict mm-hmm. in bitter work, which which might be a first for this show. Like there's no. Again, we'll talk more about that, but that one was it was all about the internal conflict going on with with everyone. Yeah. Um, but back to Zuko alone, I, I really did love the flashbacks. I'm a big flashback guy, um, and maybe that's part of the reason I love Lost so much. Um, but I, I love flashback episodes, and I love getting to see uh, a younger Zuko, younger Azula, getting to see more of Ozai than we have, even though we still haven't seen the man's face. Which, is this going to be another, like... Cassidy and Preacher reveal. We finally see his face. It's like, oh, he's just needed some visine, or uh, I don't know. I'm I'm expecting something, and I don't know what to expect. I, I we kind of got close to his face in this, though, didn't we? I, did I we mean, not see, see his face see, at all? You see the lower half of his face. You see him smile. What's going on with, on with his eyes? My God, what did you do to his eyes? <laughs> it really is the Cassidy thing. He's just got some some bad red eye. I, I really don't think that there's a whole lot to the reveal. I don't really remember when they show his face, quite frankly. Um, my my guess is that they didn't want to lock down a character design yet, and that's really yeah, where it I'm, comes from. I'm, uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and spoil this because there there's nothing to it. Like, I, Eric, I also don't remember exactly when we first see his face, but I think the reason why I commented on this several episodes ago... Uh, the fact when when I asked you, AJ, did you notice that we never see his face? He's always in shadow. I was kind of me processing because I was like, there's nothing special. Why are they hiding his face? So to spoil it, to answer your question, AJ, yes, it is kind of a Cassidy thing. There, I, I For the life of me, I cannot figure out why they're being so cagey with showing. It, it must be what Eric said. They didn't want to lock down a character design yet. But yeah. that does set up sort of an expectation as to exactly what this man's going to look like. But yeah. it's good to know, though, going I, in. I, there's a, I have an alternate suggestion to this, um, which is that they were doing the Dr. Claw thing, and <laughs> you were just kind of, you know, oh, man. With that, you, don't, you don't see the villain's face kind of thing. Not yeah. Maybe they weren't entirely sure what they were going to do at the end, you know what I mean? And, and so they weren't doing a character design, and they thought, you know, he's going to be Dr. Claw for a little bit. Go, go, gadget, douchebag. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> if only um, he had Dr. Claw's voice, that would be perfect. So I have a question about how the timeline works here, though. Um, mm-hmm. Well, first, I love seeing Zuko's mom. I mean, this is the first time we've seen his mom. Yeah, this ever, is the introduction right? of Ursa, his mother. Ursa, right. Um, I love seeing her, and I love seeing how compassionate she was, and how clearly that's... Clearly Zuko was Ursa's child, and Azula was Ozai's child. Um, right. Clearly, and Azula is deeply fucked up by the way, like deeply, deeply twisted. Yeah. Um, but uh, my question about the timeline here is, so according to um, the Avatar wiki, uh, Zuko is 16 in Avatar. Yeah, I think that sounds right. So I want to know how this timeline works because I feel like, it feels like there's, it, between, cause, so in the flashback, Iroh is, uh, his, his siege at Ba Sing Se fails. 
right. during the flashback. I feel like from the present day, or no, from the siege of Bossing Say to present day, I feel like more time has passed than what this flashback uh, says. And I feel like because because Iroh has like a he's like he's not gray haired at all in the flashback. Um, I don't know. I feel that the, the, whenever shows do something like this, I mean, the worst example is season two of the Shield. The only bad episode of the Shield, they like, like, oh, everything, like the entire police station has only been around for like a year. It's terrible. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I don't know that the timeline. Whenever a show does something like this, it there's always some sort of inconsistency, and that didn't feel quite right to me. It felt like more time has passed since like the Siege of Bossing Say and since Lu Tin died, but. I don't know. Clearly not. And I'm well, going to have to. I, I feel like those numbers are available. I, I don't know what they are, but I do feel like somewhere out there is a timeline that would tell us when this, the siege of Bossing Say happened. I mean, we know that he's it, he's laid siege to it for what did they say? 600 days or something like that. Yeah, it was, it was something ridiculous. Like he, he was sieging it for two years, but I don't know when when the siege ended. Um yeah, I don't know. Uh the timeline Well, so so um let me let me back up then. Um Zuko has been has been um exiled for how long? 3 years? I At think the beginning so. of the series? Yes, because yeah. he just had they just said it was the anniversary and I think it was the 3-year anniversary of of his exile. Okay, here's here to put this into perspective, okay? According to the Again, on the Avatar wiki, the page History of the World of Avatar, uh, in 94... Stop, stop uh, reading. I don't want you to get... I don't, you're not getting spoiled. Stop it. Let me, let me, let me I, give you this information. I wasn't spoiled. Go away. Get, get off the page. I looked up the relevant information. I know. Go away. These, these wikias are bad news. You're going to get spoiled on something. God damn it. So, yes, the, the Siege of Bossing Say ended in 95, um... And Zuko is banished in 97, and he's 16 when we get into it um, in 99. So, which I think, so basically, we're talking about a five year gap, five, six years at this point from the Siege of Bossing Say. And that doesn't feel right to me. I, well, let me, so the one thing I think that's catching you up is, uh, is Iroh's hair being gray. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, and, I, and I think that given the what happened to him in yeah. those last five years, I think his hair changing color makes sense. I think I wonder if that was a specific choice on their part because he's clearly a different person when he's writing those letters from Bossing Say. That is a different Iroh we're seeing. True. And one thing we do learn in the flashback is that Ozai, I mean, we knew he was a cold motherfucker, but Ozai, uh, he, it's it's heavily implied that he killed his father, uh, Azulon, or even like, maybe this was just me reading into it, but the, there's almost an implication there that maybe Azula did it. Um, yeah, that's, that's how I sort of read it. Because she's gloating about it to uh, to Zuko, um, and basically Ozai, um, you know, killed Azulon, made it look like it was natural causes, apparently, um, and had you know had Azulon or, or forged documents saying that you know Azulon's dying wish was that uh, Ozai would be the Fire Lord, not Iroh. So Ozai is, like I said, cold. Ironically, for a Firebender. He's a cold-blooded motherfucker, <laughs> which which makes an awful lot of sense given what we learn about lightning throwing. Later. Yes, yeah, the the cold-hearted fire is what they call it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that Palpatine shit. Yeah, I, I will say that um, whether or not 
Thank you for humoring the fact that I said something. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'll cut it in editing. Uh, I'm, I'll say that we may or may not. It depends on time and how much investment you guys want to put into it or whatever. But the, we had discussed the possibility of perhaps doing a, a bonus episode where we where we talk about the comics, the tie-in comics. I'm absolutely up for that. Um, yeah, I'm in. The uh, the second volume of the official tie-in comics uh, is called The Search, and it actually deals with uh, – we get more information about this flashback that we see. Like, we get to see some of the stuff that happens off off screen or whatever. Cool. So th- this particular storyline comes back in the comics, and we get some of the blanks filled in for us. I'll just say that. Very nice. Um, something else I loved about this episode, uh, so that the, the kid, Lee, mm-hmm. that Zuko finds, um, Zuko uh, thinks that he's helping when uh, he gives uh, Lee a knife, like his blade that says, uh, never give up without a fight, and it also says made in Earth Kingdom. Which, by the way, I just want to point out, uh, whatever episode that was, I think it was, uh, I think it was the... Uh, the Avatar State, which was, was that the first episode of the season? Whenever um, Iroh and Zuko ran away and they cut their hair, and I asked about that knife that he had, and I said, I'm trying to figure out what the writing on the blade is, but I can't find anywhere. Oh. It was this knife. Okay, well, now we know what it says. So, um, so he thinks that he's helping because, uh, you know, he finds, Lee finds out that his uh, brother's battalion was captured by the Fire Nation, and that, that's when Zuko flashes back to Lu Tin dying. And so he gives Lee uh, the blade, and he, he winds up leaving. Um, <clears throat> and then, uh, you know, because he, he's trying to be the, the, the loner, but his actions have consequences. And Lee's mother finds him and says, you know, he pulled a knife on the earthbenders who, for, who are now forcing him into the army. So Zuko feels responsible, and he goes back. There's, like, a really cool fight between him and the earthbenders, especially when he has... And he's not firebending, because at first... I feel like he's trying to keep working the man with no name angle. So he doesn't want to give away who he is. And there's a really cool moment where he has both of his swords out and he's fighting a guy with two hammers. Mm-hmm. And that was really neat. That that um, fight was amazing. It was great. It was an awesome fight. Awesome fight. It was great. Um, but by the end of the fight, Zuko proudly declares who he is. And everyone obviously in the village knows who he is uh they're either not impressed because they think he's a coward in an exile or they're disgusted with him because he is the son of fire lord ozai and uh even lee you know tells him you know i i hate you and won't uh, won't keep the knife um which so. is which is heartbreaking Zuko because rides out on his ostrich horse yeah he rides into the sunset um i mean the the lee thing of course was heartbreaking because we for a short period of time, Zuko got to be uh, older brother, an older brother figure to a sibling that actually liked him. Good point. Ouch. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's one other thing about this episode that's totally a bit of curiosity that I want to mention before I forget, which is that Azula's firebending is not blue yet when she's a kid. Right. Oh. Which is something I was actually watching out for when she started firebending. I was curious, is that something that she's always had? But no, at some point in her life, it changed and she started shooting blue flames. Actually, the blue flame thing, uh, there's a point about that in the next episode that I was going to bring up. Um, If we're ready to move on, are we ready to move on? 
Sure. Uh, yeah, sure. I do. I do just want to say that that fight at the end with Zuko um, was glorious for a number of reasons. Um, first of all, I think it was very well animated. All I think all three of these episodes were animation high points. Um, but like the two moves that Zuko does in that fight that I absolutely like, I just pump my fist for was the the Iido move that he does, the quick draw where he knocks the guy back just with the hilt of his sword. He doesn't even fully draw his sword. Uh, and then that fucking face plant <laughs> that he does to the next guy that runs up to him just steps out of the way of the sword or what or the spear and like puts his hand on the guy's face and just slams him down onto the ground. I was like, God, Zuko, you are a badass. He, He's he what is, he wants to be. I, I do like that, like, you know, Zuko is not... He, he's his own worst enemy, and there's moments like this that I like where when he's not in his own way entirely, he's actually kind of awesome and competent, mm-hmm. but he's he is so destructive to himself that it works really well that why he wasn't able to succeed last season because it wasn't like he was an incompetent. He's just so angry. I mean, Iroh points it out, I think, in the, the third episode that he has too much shame. Yeah. And so you get moments like this that it's like you can kind of see what he would be if he could just get over his shit. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's move on to the chase. Uh, AJ, what do you think? Um, like I said, I think uh, so if Zuko alone was sort of the quieter prologue, the chase is where I think a lot of the threads so far this season um, come together because everyone is in this episode. I mean, we have we return to the Aang gang, you know, and how they're faring with Toph. Uh, particularly how Katara and Toph are not uh, not getting along mm-hmm. very well. Um, uh, we see how they're doing with Toph, and then uh, you know Iroh is tracking Zuko, and then uh, Azula, Ty Lee, and May all show up, and they all they it all winds up culminating on the set of High Noon yes. to to keep the the Western <laughs> theme going. On. I'm sure I'm, I'm positive that is that is the small Western town from High Noon. Um, and I, I thought it was a great episode. I mean, like we said, all three of these episodes are great. And this one was definitely the most action-packed and the most exciting in that way. And, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was fantastic. A lot, of, a lot of great fights. It's full of really great character moments and tension and a couple of really awesome fights, which is, which is not easy to balance that in, what, 26 minutes or whatever yeah. these episodes are. Um, it, it really it races along and... It's one of those times, you know, every once in a while it feels strained where, like, the plot of this episode is clearly designed to match whatever the character conflict is. This was a case where that didn't feel strained at all, that the character conflict of them not trusting each other echoed through every single relationship in the in the episode. And so it never felt forced because it didn't feel like it was all just focused on uh, Toph's problems with the group. It also dealt with Iroh and his problems with... Um, Zuko, and because of those things, all those relationships kind of melding, it it when it culminates in the ending, it's just phenomenal. Yeah, um, I was, was a, a little worried. Uh, I was a little worried at first because I love Zuko alone so much, and because I know we we've been having some problems with the rest of the season. Uh, when it gets back to the Aang gang at the beginning, um, <laughs> there's uh, in fact the moment in particular, like when Appa's shedding, that was a funny moment. But then like Toph's hairy pits. I mean that I was like, oh, are we are we back in this territory? Was that a joke too um, far for you? That to me that was maybe a bit of a joke too far. Um, but I got to think about Pittsman. Um, <laughs> but but no, yeah, it was uh, it was great. I, I loved seeing. I'm 
you know, we when we discussed the Blind Bandit, you guys said that was the episode you had been waiting for this whole time because it was the introduction of Toph and how she was going to be a permanent part of the group going forward. And I think she adds so much to the group dynamic. It feels like there was a piece of the group missing that I was not even aware of. Yes. Until Toph showed up. Because yeah. she is sort of the, she's the pricklier one. She's the one who feels, I mean, especially now since she's just joining the group, she's the one who feels more uh, separate from the group, more aloof. In fact, part of the conflict at the beginning of the chase is uh, Katara keeps approaching her, trying to tell her without being direct enough that, hey, maybe you should help us set up camp. And she's like, no, no, I'm fine on my own. Um, and so I, I like that. That adds like a bit of a, uh, just a, a pricklier dynamic to the group it's not it's not so you know you know loving and, and hugs and puppies <laughs> um yeah the i've started uh in my notes uh, for these episodes i've started actually writing down little descriptions of the a plot and b plot to, to help me kind of follow as we discuss it uh and this particular episode it was uh this chapter it was a little hard for me to break it into an a plot and a b plot since everything is so closely tied together um basically all i came up with was the a plot kind of deals with the tension in the group and the fact that they're being uh chased they're they're you know being dogged by these by azula and her team and uh eventually tension breaks and the team kind of splits up for a brief time and then the b plot i was like well what, what is the b plot in this i guess it's the showdown at the end but that's not really a separate plot but um I guess this was an episode where it's all just kind of one story, maybe. <laughs> um, well, because so okay, so there's the group conflict with uh, Toph, Toph and Katara blowing up at each other, and then eventually, um, Toph, the the tension comes to a head, and Toph just walks away, walks off from the group, and she actually I thought that was really interesting that she winds up running into Iroh. Yes, it was fantastic. Who then not only does he get not only does he have someone to talk with about his feelings for Zuko, but what he's saying about Zuko also parallels uh, with Toph because you know, he's the whole because the whole thing about her being you know too young to be traveling alone. There's nothing wrong with letting the people who love you help you. He's trying he's trying to figure out who he is, and he ran away. Mm-hmm. And I did like how Toph's reaction is. So now you're following him. And to me, that sort of says maybe now she realizes that she can't just walk away. There is there someone has to be following her and tracking her as well. Yeah. Uh, as as is often the case with Iroh when he's not, uh, I mean, he's not really the comic relief, but he tries to be sort of the 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 goofy uncle, but. He has to be with fucking Zuko. Right. Right. Fucking Bergman over there. But it's so. Oh God. Um, as is often the case with Iroh, his stuff is really the emotional center. Um, just with the loss of his son and the fact that he is, uh, he's kind of become the father figure for Zuko, even though Zuko tries to pretend he doesn't realize that's happening. Um, I don't know. I love all of the emotional stuff that goes on with Iroh. And in this episode, uh, it was just great to have him and Toph uh, separate from everybody else and have this conversation where they're, you know, they each help each other out. And when Toph says, you know, by the way, your nephew, maybe you should tell him all the stuff that you just told me. Um, I don't know. Not, not many people get to talk to Iroh and say something that has Iroh go, hmm, yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe you're right. Yeah, I, I really like that. 
And also while all of that's going on, uh, Azula and her gang uh, are are tracking the Aang gang uh, with the with the tank, which sadly not as cool no. as the is the standard fire fire nation tank, but still, no. I mean, it's, it's kind of cool. But it comes with giant lizards. Hell yes. Let's talk about that for a second. I have a note that says, with a question mark and an exclamation point, their lizards can walk across water? <laughs> so really, they they are the Jesus lizards. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's, what, that's why the tank is clearly just a lizard transport. That's yeah. not... It is not meant to go to war on its own. It is just there to get the lizards from place to place. I love that. It's a lizard wagon. And they only want brown M&Ms in their dressing room. Yes. Um, I just, I, I just had an image of the inside of that being like Azula's tour bus. Yes. I want an entire side story about that. Absolutely. Wow. Um, and a thing that I love about that plot is so they figure out that she's so able she's able to track them so easily because it's springtime and Appa is shedding so I mean they have kind of a smart plan to uh, you know collect all of Appa's sheddings or whatever you call them and uh, <laughs> and uh lead her on the wrong trail and I, as soon as that happened I was like it cannot be this easy please don't let Azula be like the dumb bad guy in this instance <laughs> and she's not there you go she, she picks up on it immediately and it, it does not help them, which makes her so much more of a of a real villain. Because I feel like on a lot of shows, maybe even in other episodes of this show, when they're dealing with less of a threat, that would have been it. Like they would have like mis misled her, and then they would have you know come around, routed her on the side, and taken her out. Yeah. Um, but I love that she with, without hesitation deduces the fact that um, the Avatar is trying to give them the slip, um, and that leads to a pretty cool uh, battle as. Uh, uh, Sokka and Katara are on their own. Uh, there's like some, uh, I think it's Ty Lee who has like the crouching tiger action. Yeah. Like in the trees, like yeah. bouncing back and forth between the trees. And then <laughs> robbing Sokka of the use of <laughs> three quarters of his limbs. My favorite comic moment in this episode. <laughs> that was fantastic. When she hits him in the head and, it, and that's it. And he's like, yeah, whatever. Or whatever the heck he says, whatever she like punches him in the head. Yeah. And like that doesn't it does not it does not numb his head. That's right. <laughs> Floppy Sokka is the best. I lo- <laughs> and I love the sound he made every time she would like she kill his army like oh. <laughs> I mean, it, was, it was hilarious. I love that. But um, I mean, before he got before he was turned into into Ragdoll Sokka, he got to he got a moment to be you know cool, competent, badass Sokka when he jumped in the way of uh, May's darts and knocked him out with his club or whatever. I just love any example of these characters um, being competent. I know I harp on this like every time it happens, but I feel like so many other shows um, like this would have Sokka just be the comic relief or whatever. Like he'd never be allowed. He couldn't be goofy and sort of stupid and laughable at one moment. And then also kind of be a badass and, and do stuff well. Um, so anytime when these characters get to show that they are actually competent and able to pull off the stuff that we see. I love that. We come, I come back to this a couple of times, but again and again, it, it gets the, that while Xander, Xander actually is the Zeppo. um, Sokka only worries that he's the Zeppo. He's actually not as useless to the group as Nikki fears and thus gives the impression and plays the fool. 
for I, everyone because that's I think like his comfortable zone is being the fool. Yeah. And so everyone sort of so you get people like Toph underestimating, which is another funny bit. Which yeah, is three like, on three, three plus Sokka. <laughs> hey, I can but, fight. <laughs> and that's like a rare moment of Sokka talking, speaking up. But a lot of times he does fall into the goofball role. Yeah. But he really is competent. He's he's uh, right there, and and that fight goes really bad if he's an idiot. He's, if he's not able to fight, that fight is over in about five seconds. He's, he's, it was already over pretty fast. But he's got a warrior's wolf tail, guys. It's not a ponytail. <laughs> yes. It's a warrior's <laughs> wolf tail. <laughs> That was beautiful. That was a great moment. Um, uh, I I loved, and I love Katara's response to that. Well, it certainly tells the other warriors that you're fun and perky. <laughs> yes. I thought that was beautiful. Um, there was some, there, that, I love the, I love all the bickering in this episode. Like, yeah. it, not only is it just kind of funny, but it also reminds us that for as competent as we get to see these, these characters be, and for as much, you know, uh, the weight of the world is on their shoulders, these are still kids. <laughs> so, they do still get on each other's nerves and they, they argue and fight like young people would. Katara in particular delivers a really sick burn in this episode. Like a really, like I thought it was like almost crossing a line. Yeah. Like yeah. my note after the quote was Jesus about the stars. So she, yeah. She's the, she's, she's talking to Toph who again is blind and says the stars sure are beautiful tonight. Too bad. You can't see them. <laughs> oh my God. That was fucked up. Uh, well, I, mean, I know she it. called her sugar queen, but that was not, <laughs> that was, that was cross the line. Uh, um, but while, while, so while that fight is going on between, uh, Ty Lee, May, uh, Sokka and Katara, um, Aang winds and up Appa. on the set and Appa. and Appa. That's right. Uh, that's when Aang winds up on the set of high noon and Azula shows up. And that's when, uh, she reveals to him that, uh, she's so she's i'm sorry she's not Sokka's sister she's zuko's uh sister and i love that i love that ang gets to find out that azula calls him zuzu Zuzu, and he laughs yeah yeah I, well i like that he laughs at that like like he has no humor for her like impression of him with her hand over his face like that, oh, is that was beautiful times. that was Aang is just like stone-faced mm-hmm. at at that moment but when she calls him zuzu he loses it <laughs> yeah um and i think that uh so is so what's the significance uh to Azula's flames being blue? Have we learned that yet? Um uh I can't remember where I saw it, but we talked about this in a previous episode where I I had finally looked it up somewhere to see if anybody claimed it might be in the the art of the animated series maybe. I was trying to figure out if anybody ever states why it's blue and um I think they said it was just to show that she is like a prodigy, like she's the next level of firebender. Um, and it's also for like fights like this, where it's Zuko and Azula fighting each other. It's so you can tell them apart. But the thing that I wanted yeah. to point out about her fire in this is that um, it's a subtle touch of, of like world building or whatever. It just adds a hint of reality to this animated series that when she creates her fire, it's blue. But like when she's shooting fire blasts at Aang, when he's like bouncing up the walls or whatever, it's blue as she fires it. But then when it hits the wall and kind of bursts into flames or whatever, it's regular fire. And then when she starts the fire, when she circles Aang with fire to keep him in the room, it's blue when she first lights it. And then it gradually turns into just regular orange flame. Interesting. So, I mean, I mean, yeah, I think it's an, an, a nice touch that they did there. But for, for what it's worth, AJ, the way I always read um, Azula's Blue Flames is just that 
like many martial artists in movies who are just that much of a master have their own particular style or look or tricks to stuff. Azula is just such a prodigy of a firebender and such a next level firebender that that's her unique thing. You know, for whatever reason, that's like the unique tick of her skill. It doesn't necessarily mean anything beyond that. It just kind of marks her as, as a, as a serious badass the way anything in martial arts movies would and, when they get their own thing. And for the record, I like her blue fire much more than, you know, much better than I like the, the Liz's blue flame in the Hellboy movies. I never liked the fact that her fire in the Hellboy movies was blue, but Azula, that's fine. I like it. That was an interesting tangent to go off on, but sure. I do what I can. I've been holding that for like for about five or six episodes. <laughs> um, and so while that's happening, so Zuko shows up, and then Iroh has been tracking Zuko, and he shows up, and they sort of uh, Zuko and Iroh team up with the Ang Gang against Azula's people, and then Azula strikes Iroh with her flame. And as much as I love this show, there's the moment after Iroh gets struck, um, Azuko gives a very stereotypical anime yell like oh oh i liked it (laughs) (laughs) that kind of that took me out of the show for half a second i was like is this is this speed racer (laughs) wow wow can we talk for a second about how fast zuko gets the shit beat out of him by Azula. azula whoops him yeah. Oh, yeah. This episode. There, there's a great moment, and it's it's played for comic relief, but it it really it's telling about the two characters. When um, when Ang is running away, and he like runs up the stairs of that one building, and uh, Azula chases him, and she runs through the doorway and almost falls because there's no floor in that room. But she manages to catch herself. She she like dances around a little bit and holds her balance and steps to the side. Um, and then Zuko immediately runs in the room and he just, fa- he just plummets, goes head right. first down there. Uh, you know, it's kind of meant to be funny, but that's telling about these two characters. Azula is the prodigy. She is, she is really a force to be reckoned with. She is not a fool. She's not playing around. She is skilled and, and knows what she's doing. And Zuko is headstrong and rushes into shit. And, and let's remember that, that Zuko you know, he's he was toe to toe with a lot of very pow- like a lot of our bad guys last year. You know, like mm-hmm. like Zhao and you know Zuko was there at at the table in those fights. Yeah, and here's Azula, and Azula is is on a completely different level from from Zuko, which means that although a lot of the people we've seen like this is this is what like a firebending master feels like. And I like I like that. I like that when Zula comes in, like the the level of threat that she pr- represents is just so much higher. You know, like the only person that I'm not afraid of afraid for when they're fighting with Azula is Iroh, because it's fucking Iroh. And, I'm and not, even then, of course, he he gets he gets hit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this it's a it's a subtle bit of character work that, um, or maybe not so subtle, but I, I feel like it's a, a nice subtle character touch that uh zuko i mean we've seen him be a badass but usually like he, he's at his he's at his best when he is not being zuko when he's the blue spirit and he's hiding behind a mask and he doesn't 
you know, the world isn't seeing him as the banished prince, he's a badass. When he's the man with no name and nobody in there knows who he is, he's a, a badass. But when he has to fight as Zuko, he, his emotions get the better of him, especially when he's faced with his sister, who he clearly has a troubled relationship with his sister. He's always felt like he lives in her shadow. He's always been judged against how talented she is. And so it just throws him off his game. Yeah, it's a really good point. Like he's it, it it recontextualizes like Zuko Zuko in a lot of ways because he doesn't just feel inferior <laughs> to his sister. Um when it comes on the measure that he measures himself on, he is not at her level. Right. And and he's not a worthless or weak person, and we've seen that, but as soon as he steps into the ring with his sister, he just cannot he can't bring it. Yeah. And, and I agree. It's not, it says a lot about both what we've come to value in Zuko and what he values in himself and what Azula represents about the parts of himself that he's afraid don't measure up. Yep. And, um, AJ, you, you mocked Zuko's, Oh, or whatever sound he makes when, I uh, sure did. when his uncle gets hit. But, um, his cry of pain and rage at the very end there, when like Katara is coming in to, to offer help, uh, that was truly, uh, that was powerful. That was a powerful, like, chilling moment for me. It was better. <laughs> it was better. Okay. It was better. <laughs> I I thought it was, I don't know. I, I, I literally, or I legitimately felt like Zuko's pain, whereas up to this point, he's usually just been kind of a, a whiner <laughs> or whatever. Uh, I was like, you know, this feels like he's genuinely in anguish. Thinking that I, he I'm, I'm going to make a confession here. Yes. I love Zuko as a character. He, he, I think he is probably my favorite character uh, at the moment. I I don't know. It's not that the voice acting is bad by any means. I don't know if I like his voice though. Mm-hmm. I feel like his voice really does. I know that I know that's the character that he is a whiner. That he is like emo and brooding, has no sense of humor. But I don't know. the vo- The voice really is a touch too whiny. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe that's why his cries of pain didn't quite, didn't quite. I, though, like on paper, it's. I mean, it was a great. It was sure. It was definitely a great moment, but the cries of pain kind of left me cold. <laughs> oh, you really are the Zuko of this show. I am. <laughs> uh, poor Dante Bosco. He'll be heartbroken to know that you. No, you I'm sorry, no, Dante you Bosco. Do not talk trash on Rufio. Exactly. Exactly. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Zuko forever. Let's um let's move on to the last episode, uh Bitter Work. AJ, we get a little philosophical in this one, so we do. Uh so like I said earlier, the thing that I was really impressed with by Bitter Work is that this may be I'm pretty positive this is the first episode of this series where there is no source of external conflict. The conflict is only internal because the A plot and the B plot are um the A plot is Toph training Aang because I honestly like I know the whole thing is that she had given up everything to train him in earthbending like she's the earthbending master he's consulting I had forgotten that a little bit uh, because it had been well because it had been a few weeks since we'd talked plus uh, the events of the past couple episodes so it was nice to be reminded of that and to see Toph actually training Aang and how their wildly different personalities clash Mm -hmm. Um, and then the B plot is Iroh training Zuko. And I think that's really impressive 
um, for for a genre show like an action adventure show like this to have an episode that is so uh, that, that is turned inward in this way that is a little more philosophical. And again, we mentioned that it was impressive for a kid's show that, you know, it focused, there was an episode focusing only on like the most serious character on the show. And now we have a kid's show where, yeah, there is no like, in, like encroaching, like a direct threat in this episode. It's just, it's all about character. And I thought that was really special. Eric, I'm, I am a hundred percent with you. I, I, I had not even really identified that this one lacked uh, what you like what you'd consider to be a central conflict in in the standard Nickelodeon television show kind right. of way um, that it doesn't have that and and bec- and what's amazing is I didn't notice that because it didn't need it mm-hmm. it found a central conflict in character and it found two central conflicts in characters that meet that really um, spoke to each other so it feels it certainly feels like there's some there's there's danger at the heart of this episode, but there really isn't. No one's gonna die except for maybe Sokka. Um, <laughs> yeah, except the, uh, for maybe Sokka. The saber tooth. I feel like we could add that to the end of every episode. <laughs> the saber tooth moose lion was the external conflict. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> um, but I loved I loved seeing uh, Sifu Tuff. Yes. Um, I loved seeing her trying to train Aang because obviously, you know, like I said, Toph adds, uh, she, she's like the prickly one of the group. She does not have the same sensibility she's that the a, rest of the group does. She's very strict and militant as a teacher. She is, and she's unforgiving. Yeah. Um, and she wants Aang to, you know, to, to, to face things head on like a rock. Um, and there's no room for goofing around or for being fun or for taking like the, the positive reinforcement angle as Katara tries to suggest to her. Um, like Katara in, in particular suggests a gentle nudge and that is like immediately Toph like fucking headbutts a boulder and destroy. <laughs> that is not something Toph can do. Um, we do get to see her earthbending really on display in this episode and it's crazy impressive. Uh, there's a moment in fact where she basically becomes the thing <laughs> yes, I, I want to point out. I want to point out a little art glitch in that scene, though. Um, did either of you pick up on this? Was there anything about her, uh, like covering her, making herself a statue or whatever? Did you notice anything odd? No. Neither had I really until I was um, I was looking through the art of the animated series just to see if they made any notes about design choices or whatever, and they wrote that in the script that was supposed to be the only thing that was supposed to be uncovered was her mouth so she could breathe. But when the artists rendered it and they said, we didn't even catch this until the process was finished. Like it went right past us. We didn't even notice the artists gave her eye holes so she could see, but she doesn't need to cause she's blind. Oh, <laughs> I'm genuinely surprised they haven't uh, George Lucas special edition that right out of that's, that's funny. That did not occur to me at all. <laughs> Anyways. But yeah, that was a great moment. And you're right. I, li- I mean, it only gets better from here. Um, I mean, I love... I- I'm going to enjoy listening to you, AJ, week after week, just discover how much of a badass Toph is. Like, like every week, I want you to say, wow, we really got to see some impressive earthbending from Toph. Like, I mean, <laughs> you, you ain't seen nothing yet, so... Awesome. I look forward to it. Um, so while um, Toph is attempting to train Aang, uh, we have the Iroh 
Zuko stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, can you, because I, I swear to God, I was paying attention. But as far as as far as the lightning stuff goes, what was he trying to teach Zuko about the lightning? I think that I kind of that that was on me entirely. That was not the episode's fault. I kind of missed that. At the end, you mean? Uh, I, I I don't know. Just what what was he trying to explain to him about well, the lightning? Well, initially he was trying to teach him how to how to bend lightning, uh, the way that, um, the way that Azula does and and that he does, but um, Zuko just couldn't. He couldn't get it. Like he couldn't. Uh, he was teaching him how to. There's energy that surrounds us. He was basically giving him the whole the force speech. Right. Um, there's energy around us and it binds us or whatever. Uh, but all Zuko could ever do because he's in so much emotional emotional turmoil. Like his insides are just so stirred up. He couldn't. Uh, he could not separate the energy and then bring it back into balance to create lightning. All he could do was blow himself up. And so that's why Iroh. Uh, eventually gives him the whole um, Zen speech about the nature of the four nations and the different bending styles and all that and how... uh, I really loved that scene, by the way. That was fantastic. That is a beautiful, beautiful moment. Um, And since he can't... Since Zuko is just not centered enough, he's not calm enough to create lightning safely, he decides to, to teach him how to... Uh, redirect lightning, which we've seen Iroh do twice on the show without anyone ever really, you know, calling attention to it besides myself. But like he's done it twice on the show and no one's ever said, you know, commented on how amazing that is. So now Iroh explains that this is a thing that he has taught himself how to do by studying waterbenders. And he does say, you must not let the lightning pass through your heart or the damage could be deadly, which to me, and again, I don't know, sounds like foreshadowing. I'm, I'm not going to tell you how charred Zuko's heart gets. <laughs> okay. All right. I feel like it's already pretty charred, you guys. <laughs> Do you remember the scene uh, of how General Grievous is killed? Just think about that. Okay. I like it. I just have to keep mentioning Star Wars every few Zuko minutes. is the general grievous of Avatar. That makes sense. Yeah. I just I'm, I'm, bl- I'm blocking out that you've made that analogy. That was just <laughs> <terrible>. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's talk more about Zuko and Iroh because that really was, I feel like almost that should be the A plot. There was, it was, yeah. now I'm on your guys' side where I feel like that was more interesting than the rest of the episode, but... Um, but, I, but I will say, I love the Aang Toph stuff. I thought that was really great. Yes, yes, but uh, I, I just... I'm I'm so in love with what is going on between the two characters of Iroh and Zuko, and particularly... Um, well, I mean, I get, it's the parallel, or it's the, it's the compare and contrast between how Aang's studies uh, eventually wind up, because he, he eventually, he gets it, he figures out how to do it, he has a breakthrough, and, like, the end of his story is all of them, you know, laughing and having a good time, because, yay, Aang's an earthbender now. And Zuko's part of the story does not end that way. No. It ends with him yelling at God. Yes, it's, it was a very Shakespearean moment, I think. I, I literally, I thought of, like, Shakespeare, The Tempest or whatever, with him on top of a mountain, raging at the storm, daring the skies to strike him down because finally he can fight back. Yeah. So I have a question bringing up the, the Zuko Iroh possibly more interesting than the Ang stuff, although I'm, I do agree this was the best Ang stuff of the season. But do you think the reason that 
the Iro Zuko stuff at its core, the reason foundationally it tends to work better is that it's the plot that has a character, I want to say an older character, but it's really because he's a more experienced person. Um, whereas Aang is, Aang's group is a bunch of kids, mm-hmm. basically. So we get the conflict of Zuko's hot-headed youth with Iroh having lost so much in his life but loving this kid. And that conflict gives you different perspectives that you don't get quite the difference in perspectives from anyone except having Toph in the group now, which is, I think, why Toph sort of levels up the group on an interest level because she's the first person that we've gotten that at least has a different set of experiences than the three of them and like materially different. But Iroh brings such a weight to the plot that I, that Zuko can bounce off of. I'm just wondering how much you think that may have to do with the, the struggles of matching the interestingness of those plots. I, I hadn't thought of it that way before, but I, you might be onto something. Um, I think you're right, and I also think that it's uh, it might just be because, um, for the most part, uh, Zuko and I are, are are just more emotionally complex. I think at this point than the Aang gang, which is not to say that the Aang gang don't have because obviously I think you know we've discovered Aang is at his most interesting when he's uh, you know when he's faced with like the the air temple that has been changed and you know his his people's culture has been erased and things like, or when he's reminded of the fact that so much time has passed since, you know, he, he was a kid. I mean, he's still a kid, but you know what I mean? Um, so I, I think part of it might just be that Zuko and Iroh have more, it sounds, it sounds bad, but they, they have more going on upstairs in that way. <laughs> and I think that's more dramatically interesting. <laughs> and again, I, I mean, I, I'm really, I'm really feeling the Aang gang stuff now, though. Remove now from like Sokka Holmes and all that stuff. Like I, I, and again, it's, it's okay that they're goofy. It's okay that they're wacky. They're kids. This is a kid's show. That's fine. But I feel like this is the first time this season where they have really had a purpose and a direction. Um, well, I will say I feel like this trend continue or, or this this emotional weight. Yeah. The the emotional weight that we're starting to get a feel of here. I think that continues forward as this season moves forward. You're going to, you're going to see more of that. I think so. Well, we are, we are finally getting Aang's character development, which is the important thing, right? That's he's finally getting to get back to where he was in season one, where he was growing and being challenged as a person. And we're back there now. And that bodes well. Um, It'll, I'm, I'll be curious to see, because um, the central plot of this season with Zuko and Iroh and Azula, um, because that is so compelling to me, and because I think Azula, because of all that, because of the, the emotional aspect of it, Azula is such a strong villain uh, so far, I'll be curious to see, and this is talking way in advance, and again, to remind everyone at home, I have no idea what's going to happen. Um, it'll be interesting to me to see how, like, what season three's Big Bad is like, because I feel like, I don't know how you get better than this sort of, like, deeply emotionally rooted conflict. I, I don't want to spoil anything, AJ, but I'm just going to say the words, undead monkey Yahtzee. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Finally a um, hook to bring AJ back for next season. <laughs> <laughs> I was on the fence, you guys, but that sold me. 
Uh, the last thing I would say about this episode is that I really did love the way that Toph finally does wind up using the uh, positive reinforcement angle. And her, her little speech uh, to Aang, I really love the, the whole earthbend twinkle toes uh, speech. I thought that was great. I kind of got like a, a bit of a fist pump. Uh, you you, just, you just stood up against a, a deadly beast. More impressive, you stood up to me. <laughs> you got stuff, but do it. Yeah, I I loved all of that, um, and I love that she gets Sokka out of the ground like it like like it ain't no thing. Exactly. Yes. Because it's not for her. Yeah. Um, and then I also loved um, be, because I love that we're reminded that uh, even though he uh, Aang is great with water bending for the most part, he's still learning. And Katara mm-hmm. is still teaching him, and I love that he gives her the honorific of Sifu Katara yeah. as well. I really like that. I, I love I, their conversation while they're doing the the water form and just circling the water. I just found that to be a really great little visual bit. Like It was so cool just them doing this kind of kata in yes. the middle of their conversation. I, don't, I know it's a tiny thing, and I don't really have anything deeper to say about that, but things like that really matter to me when you're watching a show like this. And... And that that just like the visual and and feel that gave their conversation, I thought was fantastic. Well, you know, and the the parallel of that, the B plot version of that was um, when Iroh is teaching Zuko how to redirect lightning. They, as he's talking, they are also doing sort of a little kata where they are they are making that same circular motion. Uh, they're facing each other, and they're they're just moving their hands back and forth in a circular motion. Oh, um, good point. Good point. Yeah. So look at you, Paul. Look at you. <laughs> Every once in a while, um, I notice stuff. And then the, my, maybe my favorite tough line in this episode is: if you're not tough enough to stop the rock, you could at least give it the pleasure of smushing you instead of jumping out of the way like a jelly-boned wimp. <laughs> that was beautiful. <laughs> that was beautiful. Toph is precious. I love Toph so much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we didn't really talk very much because it, it wasn't that important an element of the episode. But the comic relief, again, is Sokka. You're awfully cute, but unfortunately for you, you're, you're made of meat. You're made of meat. You are <laughs> You are one lucky little meat creature. <laughs> uh-huh. Foo-foo cuddly poop. Yep, foo-foo cuddly poops. <laughs> oh, it's Loved adorable. It. It's adorable. Hold on. I really loved these three episodes, you guys. I, I'm, I, I was worried. I was worried with this season so far. But, wow, we're, we're almost at the halfway point of the season. And this was such a strong set of episodes. I'm, I'm, fully, I'm fully back in. Awesome. I'm glad. Me, me too. I was, I was wondering, because I know I love season three. Like, I know for a fact that season three has, is full of amazing stuff. But I was getting to the point where I was like, maybe season two just wasn't that good. And it just happened that I didn't remember it at all because season three is so awesome. But now this is getting me back. I, I think the back half of the season is going to pick up for us. I feel like I feel like this is signaling the change to the character arcs that I remember from the season. And I'm pretty excited about that. Awesome. Excellent. So... Uh, well, that was good. We had a good time with those. Definitely. Um, yeah. And it's so good for AJ that he managed to make it out of an episode block without having a weird name that we were going to make him spell. On the- <laughs> That's Aww. right. How Thanks, would, guys. How would you spell Fufu Cuddly Poops? Okay. Bear with me, you guys. All right. I'm going to start with a G. Oh, okay. And I'd like to buy a vowel. <laughs> P-H-U, P-H-U. No. <laughs> Little little bunny foo foo. Yeah, um, I like. 
All right. So uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us. Uh, as always, you can find links to this and all of our past episodes on the website. That's theavatarreturns.com. And links will also be posted on our parent show's site, gobbledygeekpodcast.com. Or just subscribe to the show on iTunes. Every episode will be hand-delivered to you personally by our flying email lemur. Uh, feed the lemur by dropping us an email at tarpodcast at gmail.com. And, of course, you can always find us on social media. Like us on Facebook for all of our updates or follow us on Twitter. The show is twitter.com slash tarpodcast. And on Twitter, I am at haunt1013. Eric is at salon. That's S-A-A-L-O-N. And AJ is at unplugged crazy. Next week uh, is not really next week because uh, tis the season, it's the holidays. So we, uh, we're going to take some time off uh, a month. It will be a month before we come back here, gentlemen. Uh, wow. What will we do? How will we survive? We're going to see Force Awakens like at least eight times. <laughs> okay, I, you're right. <laughs> I, I demand, Paul, that you come up with a quiz about what happened previously oh, no. on the show and give it to AJ. Okay. Oh, you should actually do that. I'm going to be terrible, but you should actually do that. Oh, damn. All right. I didn't realize I was getting homework out of this, but okay. I'll, I'll come up with something. Your homework is to give me homework. <laughs> okay, great. Great. <laughs> uh, well, when we do come back, um, a month from now, we will be discussing chapters 210 through 212. That's the library, the desert, and the serpent's pass. Until then, remember, I must find the Avatar to restore my honor. It's okay, you can laugh. It's funny. My hands were steady. My eyes were clear and bright. My walk had purpose. My steps were quick and light. And I held firm to what I felt was right. Like a rock. Like a rock I was strong as I could be Like a rock Nothing ever got to me Like a rock I was something to see Like a rock